Jayant, uh, welcome to this episode of the New Space India podcast. Oh, thank you. Happy to be here. Right, and I know you for quite a long time now. In fact, I think almost fifteen years uh, since. Uh, It was in the Mysore uh, Kospar meeting. Right, and personally, yes. Right, right. So it's it's been you know quite a long time, and one of the conversations I really wanted to capture is um, your own background, having you know born and brought up uh, in India, and then you know living having. you know lived in africa having studied in north america and coming back to india so it's a very big circle overall so let's kick off this conversation by you know getting a little bit of your own life in you know before iia the indian institute of astrophysics and how it uh, you went from you know living in africa to north america and coming back to india Yeah so uh, I was born in Shillong and then uh, by when I was uh, about uh, I must have been late uh, when I was about 13 or so we moved to uh, Zambia I mean we lived in Canada for a bit but we moved to Zambia and that's where I did my high school so uh, it was a great experience living in Zambia it, it was uh, it, it the country had only been independent for about 10 years by then and so uh, things were just building up my father was working in the power sector uh, as was my grandfather and i went to a pretty good school international school of lusaka and uh, from there i did my sat and uh, got got into johns hopkins so i went to johns hopkins for my undergraduate uh, for my undergraduate degree uh, by the way i was uh, the the day i landed at hopkins i turned 16 so it was a uh, big thing to be uh, I, i was very young to to go completely out from from home go live in the dorms and then after that uh, i grad after i got my bsc i was looking around for places to go and it just so happened that hopkins had the space telescope uh, they got the space telescope science institute so so i thought it'd be a great place to do graduate work and so uh, i i was accepted for my phd program at hopkins and uh, and i stayed on in uh, in retrospect uh, the space telescope as most space projects do it took much longer than than people had thought and so there really was not much of an opportunity for me to to get involved with the space telescope or with the people there but uh, but but i i got to work on a space shuttle project and so uh, finally that finished then i went to nasa for 2 years didn't like it very much because it was a little bureaucratic so i got back to the university and i was at hopkins till uh, about 2000 uh, 2000 was uh, about when the astrosat program was starting up and so we were building uvit and so i thought this was a good opportunity and plus uh, you always have that, uh, that that sense that maybe you want to come back and do something for your country so so it seemed like a good opportunity and uh, i came to ia turned out that astrosat was perhaps not the right project because it took so long and it was not launched until 2015 and you know for for science if you spend 15 years it's too much 15 years of your life so i got involved in other things but uh, but was still involved with astrosat and so uh, so so that brings us more or less to the present day been at ia now for 20 years longer than i've been anywhere else 
Fred, it's uh, fascinating that you know you made the decision to actually uh, come back uh, during the time, and uh, given that you know, I'm assuming that uh, given your uh, primary education, as in at least uh, secondary education, uh, with you know, bachelor's, master's, PhD, all being abroad, uh, might have been a quite a big culture shock to come back. The the thing about uh, work. the the big thing about uh, academic uh, culture in india is that everything is so much smaller so in the us you have thousands of people any few any place you go you you have uh, thousands of people in india you're lucky to have 100 people and in your own particular area of astronomy you might be the only one so uh, in many ways i'm still the only uv astronomer in the country i, I mean real hardcore uv astronomer Uh, plus plus my students of course so uh, uh everything is smaller and as a result things get magnified so uh, you have more of an opportunity to make a mark at the same time uh, what you you have less of an opportunity to interact with other people so you know both ways in, in general i think that uh, we're hurt by not having a large enough science community in the country right and one of the curious things that i wanted to ask you here is um how did you manage to you know land a position in ia was there like open positions because i suppose i suppose you know government recruiting largely applies to places like ia as well where they call out for applications and you have to apply and there's an interview process and that's assuming you know that's the traditional means i'm assuming that's how it's done for ia as well we had a, a we we have a standing advertisement so people can apply whenever they want my uh, coming here was a, a little bit of an exception because along with several other people we had uh, ramnath kaushik was the director at the time and i was growing very rapidly and they wanted to hire in a few specific areas and so because astrosat was there they specifically wanted to hire a higher uh, 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 i mean they specifically wanted my expertise so uh, i i had asked around and some people who knew me and who were uh, here in ia they um, they they came and they uh, they they asked me to apply and so i applied and uh, and that's really how i got in through people who i knew and because my expertise was was in need at the time and we still do it that way if we're looking for expertise in some particular area we do try to attract people right but from your um, experience so far i think the astronomy community in india and astronomers from india who work abroad what is the size of that looks looking like today <clears throat> what is the size yeah the size of the community because i meet yeah. a lot of them who are abroad and yeah. i know only a bunch of them who are in india so the size is still much there's still many more indians working abroad and especially in china now there's a lot of indians working in china now there's a lot of opportunity now because there's a lot of places coming up the icers iits are expanding lot lot more iits uh, so there are places coming up even some of the private universities but uh, the as you say the majority of astronomers are still abroad there are still not enough good positions 
for astronomers in the country. There are any number of positions, but many of them don't encourage research. So if you want to do research and stay in astronomy, you have to get the right position. And there are not so many of those in the country. In fact, many of the people you, you meet are possibly even postdocs. And this is something that we have a significant uh, uh, lack of opportunity for. We are open to postdocs, but we often encourage postdocs to go outside because just to broaden their own horizons, let them work outside our small community and let them get involved to global, with global research. Right, and one of the key factors here, I suppose, is um, institutional expansion. As in, you know, when you were there, I guess IA was there and a couple of other legacy institutions and the ICERs and the IITs and all of them coming up with astronomy programs is a more recent phenomena. Uh, that's, is that correct? That's right. There are, there are many more opportunities now. There are a lot of ICERs, a lot of IITs, and many of them do want astronomers as well as other fields. So they are, there are more places to apply to. And this in a way makes it more difficult for us because uh, uh, there's um, monkeys upstairs, I think. So this makes it more difficult for us because uh, there's a lot more competition for the kind of people we want to attract. So this is, this is again, this is a, a serious problem that uh, uh, if people are, are working in good projects outside the country. Very often they want to continue working there, or if they get a chance to go to an excellent institution outside the country, again, you have many more opportunities than you might have in India where you're a little bit isolated. We're far from any, anywhere. In Europe, all the European scientists meet each other regularly, at least in non-COVID times. The same thing in the US. We don't have that critical mass in India. So it does get us get difficult for us to uh, to compete in that way. We we do get people who do want to come back to India for family reasons or maybe just because uh, they're comfortable. And and we're getting some excellent people, but not nearly as many as we should be getting. Right. What is the incentive for a lot of the folks apart from you know family ties or let's say um, attachment to the country in itself? You know leaving those aside professionally, are there some unique advantages of uh, coming back to India in certain areas in astronomy or, uh, or you know, to kick off your career and make a mark for yourself in the whole international community? One of the great advantages that we have is that uh, our salary is guaranteed, which is not the case abroad in many cases. And so we all have permanent positions. And of course, I mean, that can be a negative in some ways, maybe, maybe, but, but if you really truly do care about doing science, then uh, we, we have the freedom to do the science without necessarily worrying about where our next paycheck is coming from. So that, that is an advantage and, and one shouldn't look, one shouldn't uh, neglect that. Other than that, uh, we, we do have access to many students. Uh, again, outside also you do, but, but we, we can have the potential to have more students. Where I think we're missing the opportunity is uh, uh, to, we should have done, we should be doing what the Chinese did, which is really just to pump money into the field, uh, attract postdocs, attract faculty, 
bring back faculty from outside, have collaborations with outside. And that, uh, you should look at the scale of the Chinese program. They have some 4,000 people in astronomy compared with our uh, two, 300. So it's just, uh, we're, we're missing that opportunity. For a very little money, I think we could be doing so much more. And that is primarily because uh, most of the money comes from DST or, you know, how does uh, funding in astronomy work in India against, you know, other countries? In astronomy in particular, I'm not sure. I can tell you that in, uh, well, in, in China, it's two and a half percent or so of the GDP. And most of that comes from the government. In India, we're about 0.7% of the GDP. And most of that comes from the government. Abroad, uh, um, the, the government in, uh, investment is, is not that different, 0 0.7, 0 0.8, 0.9%. But abroad, you get a lot of money from outside. And uh, that, uh, that we don't seem to have in India. So for instance, just to take a name at random, Godrich or L&T, if they decided to put some of that CSR money in astronomy, put some of the corporate social responsibility money, I think that it would have a, a great impact and would help them too, because it would drive new areas of research. Correct, and I guess, you know, that's uh, needs some kind of evangelization. I, I don't know if that's a unique model that people have to experiment with in India, uh, because, you know, this is not really funding that uh, traditionally aerospace giants would give universities like MIT or whatever to, to research and you know contribute IP to the company, but this is more like, as you said, corporate social responsibility to make up for the lack of the money of in, uh, for investment coming from the government. Yeah, you know, I have a serious uh, uh, problem in that, in that, uh, I, as you know, I can talk to anyone. I, I, I any, I can talk to anyone, and uh, but what I can't do is I can't sell things. You know, I, I got into, P, I got a PhD. Why did I get a PhD? I got a PhD to do science. And so I, I, I give lots of talks. I give talks to students. I give talks to, uh, uh, you know, every, many places. But what I'm not able to do is I'm not able to go to uh, Narayan Murthy's office or Azim Premji's office and say, can you give me $2 million? It's not, it's not in my skill set. And uh, it's, I, I, you know, I regret that. Or, or even I, if I could go to uh, I, the vice chancellor of Christ University, those guys are rich. And if I could just tell them, you know, put five crores into a space program. But, but uh, uh, that's my regret. Right, and then I can only empathize in that sense, I guess, in, into all of this, but... Uh, with the rise of uh, some of these uh, private universities, especially backed by some of these corporates, right? You have Shivnadar and, you know, Ashoka yes. and, and many, many of them. Is there where the hope largely stays in the next decade? No, I have mixed feelings about this. Firstly, you, you know, I, I do think that the majority of the unit education, you have to have a healthy public sector, public education system at all levels from primary education to tertiary education. You have to have that healthy public university system. These private universities, I do think there's a place, but as you know, many of the private universities in India are, are purely profit-making. 
there's, uh, they're not even there to give an education. The students don't go there to get an education. The students go there to get a degree, which they then use to get a job. And then that's the hallmark of success. Do you, how many jobs are you giving your students? So some places like uh, Azim Premji, I have, I have a, a lot of respect for. Ashoka, I, I don't know that much about Ashoka, but to me, it's more of a well-heeled, uh, it's a liberal arts college in the US at, at uh, uh, half the price. And, and you know what they say about liberal arts colleges that you spend a lot of money to get a useless degree. Uh, Shiv Nader, I, I think had promise, but then finally, uh, you know, it takes a lot of money to do good, to build a world-class world university. And I don't think Shiv Nader himself was quite uh, aware of how much money it, it cost. So I have not heard that much about Shiv Nader. Same, things with the new, same thing with the new universities like Kriya and uh, uh, those universities, I, I just don't know. BITS is making a good effort, the BITS Pilani system. They're, they're really trying to push research. But it'll uh, still, there's no place in India that does as good work as the government institutions. Whether it's IAA or IUCA or TIFR or ICERS or IITs or ISC, those are still, they're still the cream of the crop. And is there any like capacity building that uh, these government institutions can do in front of the government to say that we need more funding or to show any metrics that can convince government to pump in more and more money? Because if you look at ISRO, they have been able to do that very well over the last uh, 15 or 20 years, having gone from budgets that were, you know, two, 3,000 crores to today, like 11, 12,000 crores, right? Yeah, ISRO, like the defense guys, like DRDO, they have advantages that we don't because they're very much mission-oriented. So they can say Gaganyan, a human program. We go to the moon, we go to Mars. And these have some value because they're specific deadlines, I mean, specific uh, projects that, that, that have some imaginative appeal. So what do we do? We study black holes. We study, uh, in my case, interstellar dust. And we, in the old days, you know, when Nehru set up this science system that we have, there was very much a belief that science would lead us forward, uh, a belief in doing science for the sake of doing science. But over the last uh, two decades, I mean, not even just the last decade, really over the last two decades, I've seen the focus change from doing basic science with the, with the uh, understanding that even the basic science would, would help in this capacity building and, and so on. This was what it takes to be a modern nation. We've now become a very much an applied science country. And so uh, we're told that we have to start funding ourselves. And uh, you know, how can we fund ourselves? Maybe we charge our students more but that's a, a self-defeating system. <clears throat> Maybe we rent out an auditorium for weddings on weekends, but uh, uh, we, we, um, so we're, we're being told that we have to connect to the people. Some places can do it, but for, if you're going to do pure research in astronomy, we can't really do that. 
So we've been trying to say that, yes, capacity building, yes, we're, look at TMT. TMT is really helping to build the industry in the country. But that's a harder, they, they don't see that connection. It's, it's hard to sell that connection to the, to the people who come in and out. You, you have a finance secretary, for instance. The finance secretary is here for a year, two years. They're looking for the next position up. They're looking to become from finance secretary. They're looking to become secretary. It's very hard to get them to understand that, look, you give us, you're, you're, you're giving us 60 crores. Instead of 60 crores, give us 80 crores. And we'll be able to do not, not one third more research, but we'll be able to double the research. So right now our funding is very, very tight and very focused. We pay salaries. We pay for infrastructure, things like uh, internet and heating and things like that, and very little money for development. My, my, uh, you know, I have an instrument building program, and we're struggling. We're, uh, we're, we're really struggling to get money for that. And all of this, uh, you know, does it really constrain the imagination that you can have for your own research to a very large extent? I'm. I imagine that uh, a lot of the people in the astronomy community in India are forced by the fact that uh, the pot of money that they have access to as project money or research money, apart from all the other overhead expenses or salaries or so on is quite small. So the kind of research that you can even imagine pursuing is extremely limited with that. What, uh, what our primary limitation is, is in the hardware. So uh, in, the, in, in the other part of my work, the modeling, the, the, research, the observations, no, I'm not limited at all. Uh, I have good computers. Uh, I, I, I have access to all of that. Where I am limited is in the, in the instrument building part. Yes. And that, uh, that is a severe limitation. If I had, uh, I, I, I'm working on maybe 10, 15 lakhs a year. If I had uh, uh, one crore a year, then then obviously that would allow me to do so much more. It, it does restrict us, yes. And how much of that is attached to the outcome in research? As in, does the community in India therefore produce um, you know, results that are skewed towards you know, software or use of theory or software related data or, you know, getting data primary from outside sources to do their work instead of building their own instruments and so on. The, the big exception to this is, is still, we, we do have these uh, programs like GMRT. GMRT is a wonderful achievement and they're continuing to build on that. They built that expertise. And as, as a result of that expertise, they're now uh, big players in the square kilometer array. Because of our optical experience, we're now at uh, 10 or 15% partner in TMT. So these programs are continuing. And uh, the, the CERN project, the high energy project, that's another project that's been running for, for many years where we are building hardware for that. So there are a few big projects that are running. I, I think they're still constrained by various things. But nevertheless, they are running well. ITER, the Indian uh, Fusion Program. So, so those are running. Where we're suffering is in smaller programs. So uh, many times you have the large programs and you have someone who wants just uh, a 1% of the money or a 10th of a percent of the money. 
just to build something smaller, but that will still build into that ecosystem. That's that's lacking. Right, and that's <laughs> also have an impact on. Uh, okay, so does this also have an impact on the kind of uh, students and the kind of research staff that you can have? Obviously, right, because uh, it uh, it then constrains them to also you know, doing certain things that they may do differently when they have, you know, better avenues and better prospects. Yes, that's right. So most of the students we get are all uh, some sort of theoretical or observational students, not many students in instrumentation, because especially the big projects like TMT, you, you can't really have students working on it because it's a production line environment. There's not that much scope for learning a lot more engineers working on that program than scientists. Same thing with uh, ITER, a lot more engineers working than scientists. So yes, it does constrain your, your training program. And this is one thing where, um, where I have been trying to, I, for, for many years I did sell our instrumentation program to DST on that basis. We, we've uh, produced five PhD students from, from this instrumentation program. And uh, that's, that's a good thing. You're, you're training people in astronomy instrumentation, which is a worldwide shortage. There really are not people in, instrument, in astronomy instrumentation in the world. Uh, this, this year, uh, because of various reasons, our, uh, uh, we, we, need to, we were not um, continued by DST. So we need to look for more funding from that. Right, and that's exactly the point, right? Because um, ultimately, you need the, you know, some people in the intersection of two different things or three different things who understand the world of science and the world of uh, instrumentation at the same time, or you know, the world of uh, astronomy and the world of AI or machine learning or computer science or something like that right. to right. produce the new results and to have those new techniques and everything else. And fundamentally, you know, that's uh, the approach I see as problems in other sectors as well, or in other areas of space related work as well, because often you will have, you know, engineers or uh, who, who do certain things, but may not understand other implications, or you might have people who are CEOs of companies who don't really understand, let's say policy landscape or not really interested in it, but it does mm -hmm. have an impact into uh, your own business. So I'm, I'm, I guess, you know, this is, uh, and I guess many of the countries out there, including China, may be focusing on all of these things. Yeah, uh, I, I think, you know, I, I, I don't know how that works in practice. I mean, what you say is certainly true that uh, uh, Israel, for instance, is much more of an engineering group. And uh, they, they do some science, but the science is hurt by not doing, by not having enough good scientists on board who are familiar with that field. In, in India, many times there's a, there's a tendency to think that because that expertise is uh, pluggable, you, you have expertise in one area and then next project you work on something else. And so your expertise in the one area, you may be experienced in Venus and somehow that Venerian exper experience translates to the sun. And, and that's not true. You, you become an expert in planetary atmospheres that doesn't help you in, in uh, studying the moon. So, so yes, we do have that loss of uh, broad institutions. IA, for instance, we're only astronomy. We have only astronomers. 
And so we don't have that public policy aspect. A place like Nias was, is supposed to do more of that. And uh, uh, I mean, you know, to, to some extent they're successful. I also wonder if uh, the uh, public outreach that ISRO gets also through, you know, some of these space flight uh, and you know, these rocket launches and other things that are broadcasted on national television and everything else, it makes the institution, you know, reach out to the audience using uh, uh, a pipe that is nationwide in that sense. And, mm -hmm. and you know, that encourages uh, policymakers to also fund these institutions to a larger extent. Um, and is that aspect largely influencing the perception of um, policymakers to those institutions against, you know, institutions like IAA, where there's very little core outreach effort that uses mainstream uh, communication channels to reach out to the public itself? So let's break that out. Uh, in, in IA now, all DST institutes, all uh, government institutes now have the mandate to do outreach as well. It, it, it's always been our mandate to bring astronomy to the people. Uh, you know, uh, constitution, right? Bring uh, uh, increased scientific temper. So this has always been our mandate. We, in the past, it's been done as a secondary part of our own uh, work. So, you know, I give a lot of talks. Uh, uh, maybe I give 20, 30 talks a year. Maybe I reach uh, 1,000, 5,000 people a year. So, so that much we've always done. Now we do have a dedicated outreach program with dedicated outreach hires. And so um, as does every institute. So you will see more of that happening. ISC's uh, Science Day, that's a, that's a superb program when they open up on, uh, on, in, in February and the whole institute gets maybe uh, you know, 100,000, 200,000 people going through. So that, those are great things and these all happen. Now, ISRO has, to my mind, has a different responsibility. And uh, as, I, as I, I think you also agree, they have not quite met this responsibility in the sense that uh, they do have a public relations department and all, but they've never felt it their responsibility to really reach out to the public, to go out to colleges and to bring colleges in, to bring students in, uh, you know, many times I get calls from uh, newspapers or, or TV stations. Can you talk about, uh, uh, about the Venus probe? And I tell them, look, what do I know about the Venus probe? I, 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 I only know as much as you do. I, I got a call some, once from someone in, uh, uh, what's that magazine in the, in the US, the Planetary Report magazine. Anyway, I got a call from them asking about the Mars program. I said, look, I don't know anything about it. You have to write to ISRO. Said they'd written to ISRO and they got no response. And so you really do have to, with, with the organization that has the resources ISRO does. See, our, our budget is 60 crores and almost all of that is tied up. But ISRO with their budget, they should really have this big outreach program. Go out to colleges, go out to universities, uh, hire professional educators. Not not do it as a as a uh, not do it, you, you know. For, for for instance, I I I give fairly good talks. I know how to talk to people, and and people like my talks. But I'm not an educator per se. 
I can't do I can't do like a, a teacher does and go to fifth standard and explain all of astronomy. That's it's not my and if I do that, then I won't be doing my, my real mandate, which is to do astronomy research. You need professionals doing this. And that's where I think ISRO could really do much better. It's heartening to know that uh, you now have, what you said, science communicators hired full-time. Is that correct? That's right. Ayuka has always had this. And you know, they've had a very good uh, outreach program. It was part of their mandate when they started. Now we have uh, uh, one science outreach person full-time. That person handles more of these uh, schools and stuff. We have these regular talks uh, now. We have uh, yesterday for the conjunction or day before yesterday for the conjunction. Uh, we had a YouTube session. We have a YouTube channel. We get, uh, we, we put out programs from Hanley. So we do all of this. In addition, we've hired a new person at basically an associate professor level who is going to do much more, really try to do the broad out programs where, uh, you know, in India, we have such a range of, uh, of, of people. So we, a lot of times, the only people we hit are the people who go to the elite schools. But we want to really have an active program that goes out to rural areas, rural Karnataka, rural Tamil Nadu, and, uh, and go there. So we've hired one, someone to do that. Because of COVID and so on, he hasn't joined yet, but, but uh, we hope that'll start soon. I'll tell you a simple thing. You know, we have uh, uh, this guy, Norman Pogson, who was one of the directors of the early directors of the Institute. His grave is in this uh, cathedral in Europe. Uh, I mean, in uh, Madras, uh, St. George's Cathedral, I think it is right next to the US embassy. His grave is disappearing. And we want to put, a, we want to bring it back up. It will cost us 30,000 rupees. And you know, it's, it's just something we'd like to do, put a little uh, explanation around it. So these are the kinds of things we'd like to do. The Madras Observatory is where uh, the Survey of India started. And there's not much evidence of that now. They have, a, they have the old original instrument there, but we would really like to start building that up. So from little things to big, start doing more. And it brings me, you know, to notice that uh, there's a lot of outreach-related uh, aspects uh, that is also interesting. I read a book from a friend of mine who's explored a character called Stephen Smith, who's from Calcutta, who's Anglo-Indian and was trying to build uh, rockets in the 30s. Uh, in, yes. in, in, right. So yes, I read that book. Yes. Uh, so I wonder, you know, are there a, a merit for a lot of that kind of also historical research into people who were primarily in British India or even back hundred year, hundreds of years for that matter to really explore what are their contributions beyond the famous characters and the famous personalities that we already know that everybody knows in that sense and to bring their contributions into light today. Yeah, you know, I was very much struck by something Radham Nursim had uh, said I mean, of course, you know, he passed away a few uh, days ago and, and I've been reading some of the work he did. And uh, we have to strike this balance between this, uh, this, this uh, um, you know, tendency to say that we did everything in the past, plastic surgery and uh, we went to Mars, atomic weapons, whatever. 
because that uh, that takes away from the very real things that we did do. So I, I think that there's a, a lot of scope for a good historical uh, survey of what we did from Tipu Sultan's rockets. I mean, really innovative stuff. Someone said that this was the that this was the first uh, military industrial complex in uh, in the country, and uh, and and so we've lost a lot of that. This uh, Stephen Smith, I had no idea until I read that book that uh, that he was there. So yes, I think that uh, that this is really needed. Now the question is, where do you do that? And uh, in in the West, you have you have scientific historians, uh, people who work on the history of science, and it's a recognized thing. You have people on the faculty doing that. Now in India, because uh, our university system has not really done research, we we don't have that kind of cross cultural reference point. So IAA, we would not hire a historian of science because it's not in our, uh, it's not really in our direct line. We don't hire planetary scientists either. Planetary scientists don't apply to us despite ISRO's planetary ambitions. They keep asking us, why don't you do planetary science? No institute in India has ever done planetary science because we just don't, it's not we've, what we've done. You know, we've, and the same thing with historians of science. It's just not been done. And this is where we really suffer by having a small community. In, in my opinion, if you, if you uh, put whoever, if the government puts a lot more money into just academic research, <clears throat> you will get all of these uh, byproducts. At, at a low cost. Yeah, and you know, it uh, almost uh, brings the model of uh, JPL or something into mind for me because when you talked about this area of planetary science, uh, I was having a conversation with uh, Siddharth, who started this uh, lab in uh, Amity in Pompeii, yeah. right? Uh, where he's begun this uh, astrobiology group there. Yes, and, yes. Um, I guess, you know, I see that as more a more viable option as of today and more possibly implementable because you could have somebody like a Siddharth who is you know studied abroad done his PhD in Australia wherever and has come back and uh, and set up that lab using private university support and has built a program there and eventually you know if that program gets traction there's a chance that government can actually consider that somebody is given a head start to that area in the country and actually can grow that by partnering with them, even though they are a primarily began as a private institute and almost have a, a kind of a public private partnership going once there's a mature program in such an area. No, absolutely. I think he's done a great job. Uh, as as uh, again, you, you know, Amity has not had a very high reputation in the past. And I do think that there, we, we hadn't talked of them before, but it is my impression that Amity is trying to uh, improve themselves. And, and th these are, this is certainly the way to do it. If, uh, you know, I've been, I've been saying the government needs to put money into academic research, but if these institutions would put a very small fraction of their money into a proper focused effort, like this astrobiology program, 
they would be able to increase their uh, metrics significantly. I mean, that's what they count. They count metrics in, in the end. And if they just, just put money, a little bit of money into building up these programs, they would, uh, they would really help themselves. And, and I felt this about Infosys and Wipro. I, I, I think I told you the story about uh, when I came to India, I went to Infosys and I went to Wipro and I said, why don't we do some work? And, uh, you know, you have so many people on the bench. Why don't we take uh, uh, one or two people off the bench to have them do some uh, data mining, big data? It would help us and it would give your people some live experience. They finally came back. They were interested at the beginning. I talked to some people and then finally came back and said, no, we're not interested because it's not in our uh, area. So yes, I, I think that uh, that if you if we can really start building these in these institutions, they all have a lot of money. They all have an enormous amount of money which they get from tuition from tuitions. Really, they 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 could do, they could do that. Yeah, one of the things that we miss often in India, I think, is that um, most of the trained scientists uh, in astronomy and um, planetary, I mean, not maybe planetary sciences, but astronomy and a lot of the tools and techniques that they use, uh, people have used it in the US to move into the financial industry, into stock markets and hedge funds and XYZ, yep. right? So I think we have not looked at all of that in India at all. I haven't seen any evidence of anybody looking at it. And even government seeing the synergies of how the tools and the trades and, and everything gained through invested in, you know, people investing in re research and all of that can be transferred into other areas that can have a significant outcome for the overall job economy, the, the tax revenues and everything else is that the government wants to have. Yeah, no, this is something that, uh, that I think we failed on, on all levels. I mean, the, the students that we get, I don't think our students look outside enough. I don't think the industry is ready to acknowledge our students' training, and uh, and certainly, uh, I mean, the government is. I don't know. I don't know what they do, but yes, I I think that uh, that that we do of the people who got their PhD from from Hopkins, my friends over over let's say four or five years, uh, several people moved to Wall Street. Uh, there are not that many people uh, who are who are still. Doing, doing science. I, I had, uh, uh, I, I've seen a, a description where we're really a PhD. It's a way to really enjoy what you're doing for a few years, you know, while, while getting the training that will help you later on. And, uh, and yes, we, we have not uh, been able to build that, that ecosystem properly in India. You know, I don't even know if I went to a company I don't even know what kind of job I would get. I, I, I don't know if they would even value any of the experience that I have. Right, and I guess it's also a little bit of a feedback loop in all of this because um, in the US, you know, you have people coming out and showcasing those examples and putting it in the public sphere saying, mm -hmm. you know, I did this and today I, I'm a success yes. case yes. and I've done or returned so much money in a hedge fund or whatever it is to my stakeholders because I had all of this training. And I actually watched a couple of TED Talks or even even I remember a couple of movies of people actually acknowledging this. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. 
the the great thing about the US is that uh, uh, the, the, these are recognized examples, places, it's no accident that Silicon Valley grew up out of Stanford and, and Berkeley, uh, the, the whole pharma sector out of MIT. In Hopkins, in uh, my own institute, Hopkins, there's Baltimore has a huge medical industry. And you even in Bangalore, why is Bangalore Science City? Why is Bangalore uh, the, the technical techno capital of the country? It's because of ISC and because of all the engineering institutes that grew up around. So, so yes, you, you need that ecosystem and, and we need to somehow that should be advertised and, uh, and, and, and uh, monetized. You know, I keep telling people that, uh, that uh, the, the job of a faculty member is not to do groundbreaking technical development. It's not my job to build the employment industries. Rather, what I would do, what, what my job is, is to build the, the manpower, the people who will then go on to found Facebook and, uh, and Microsoft and Apple. And, you know, th th that's, what, that's what my, my job is. Not to do it personally, but to build that, to, to encourage the development of the, of the individual. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think uh, looking at all of this, you know, it uh, gives me a sense that we are so still at the precipice of exploring so many things. And I guess, you know, there's only more and more to do in, in all of this, as it is with space and, you know, with the new space uh, revolution that we've seen at least begin in India with many of these companies participate. That brings me to this point of um, how involved is the astronomy community with respect to the instrumentation or, you know, the, the satellites that ISRO builds and are there real synergies that, uh, that happen there? The, the main involvement of the academic community in ISRO is in the science satellites. So AstroSat had uh, academic involvement. Now Aditya is uh, fully academic with some involvement from PRL, of course. PRL more or less an academic institute. Uh, our program is uh, is academic. There's not many other uh, instrument building teams in the country for for space that that uh, that work that, that work with ISRO. But uh, for us to for that ecosystem to grow, there has to be two things. One is that uh, you know the new space community has not really approached us. For, uh, for participation. And uh, uh, some of that because, uh, you know, what do I know about rocket fuel, for instance? I, I know a lot about the space, about space. I know a lot about, uh, uh, about spacecraft, but, uh, you know, it's like, uh, it's like that episode of, uh, of um, a Big Bang Theory. They, they, uh, the, their car breaks down. And, and they all ask, uh, well, who knows about an internal combustion engine? And everyone says, oh, easy stuff, 1876 and so on. Okay, who can fix the car? And, and, and no one can fix the car. So that's where I am. I know a lot about everything about the new space industry, but, you, but I, can, I don't know how to, how to build a rocket engine, for instance. So, so that, uh, that conversation has not happened. 
uh, it's difficult for us to initiate it because uh, you know I just I mean again it's not my it's not my uh, it's not an area that I feel comfortable in I don't feel comfortable cold calling someone and saying hey can I get involved in your uh, in your research it would it would be a, a useful talent if I could cold cold call uh, I you know Karen Majumdar Shah who put money into Team Indus and say, hey, would you like to put uh, the Biocon logo on, on, my, uh, on my Chinese space station payload? But, but that's, not, that's not me. So I, I think that there is, a, there is a room for synergy and I, I hope that happens. As, uh, as you know, I'm a little skeptical about the new space industry because uh, I think many of them are solving problems for, for which there's no taker. Very interesting problems. But then, uh, you, you know, like this, uh, this Japanese guy who wants to put 100 lunar rovers. Uh, is there really a demand for 100 lunar rovers? So that kind of stuff. Uh, so so uh, was that the question that, that I, I, I'm not sure I think that there should be a lot of synergy. I think that we should be able to talk, we should be talking to each other a lot more, but for whatever reason that hasn't happened. Yeah, the <coughs> point is that uh, what it boils down to cost of doing science, right? And ultimately that's mostly it. So if you look at uh, a lot of the uh, NASA CLPS kind of payloads that are out there, uh, the lunar, landing uh, program uh, for the rovers and everything else. You have now a lot of the university programs are attached to a lot of these commercial companies, commercial lunar companies that are basically the goal for them, I guess, is that, uh, that they're only interested in the payload and the data and everything else. And they don't really care about which vehicle takes them there and, and if uh, who provides them communication and so on. So there, I guess, you know, the access that they can get cuts the bureaucracy that they have to go through if they have to build a large proposal and build everything by themselves that traditionally that people would do, but instead really focus on their core focus and have you know, a smaller pot of money to do whatever they have to do to get the science out. What you're saying is that really there has to be that academic uh, industry. <clears throat> the, the, the academia serves as a conduit for money from the government to industry. And that I think is, a, is, a, is absolutely correct. And NASA does this well. So they do fund a lot of universities and then those universities go out to industry. Well, I was involved in several large spacecraft proposals when I was at Hopkins. And uh, we had uh, proposals with Ball Aerospace and proposals with APL. And the money would have come from NASA, but they would have been funded, we would have been funded at the university and then we would have subcontracted all the work to the industry. And in many ways, we do that. In my own program, we do do that. Uh, we, some, some components we have to get from abroad, like our detector. It comes from FOTEC in the UK. But other things like our, uh, where we need to build a CFRP structure that we're planning to use uh, this company. I forgot the name of the company, but a guy called Gosekin. He builds uh, CFRP structures. And we would like to, to, to have him build that structure. So I think that there would be, I, I think that what you say is absolutely cor correct. SpaceX would not have grown to where they are without that, 
enormous NASA funding. So if ISRO or, you know, by extension, the government of India were to really fund these instrumentation programs. Uh, many years ago, we had gone to ISRO and, and uh, they have this habit of picking one big project. We said, don't pick one big project, pick, pick 10 projects at the phase A level and then uh, fund them for some smaller amount of money. The ones that progress, you, you start giving them more funding. If we could get that kind of pipeline done, it would be great. You, you know, I've talked with industry people and I've asked them, why aren't you more ready to do work with, with academia? And the thing is that, you know, we don't have control of our own funding, right? We, we, have, to give a, we have to give a contract out. We need to have a the whole tender process. We need to have L1. If we don't give L1, we're in trouble. And, uh, you know, you don't always give, L1 isn't always the company you want. Sometimes, you know, people underbid. I've had this happen in computers. People give uh, second rate computers and they pretend as though uh, it's, it's top quality. I mean, you really need to have that trust that, that everything will come through. And for a company to do it, they need to have trust that we get money from the government expeditiously and that then we're able to release that money to them. If we can do that, then maybe they'll take a chance. Maybe they'll say, okay, look, we'll start work now and we have the, uh, we have the understanding that we'll all grow together. So I, I think the key aspect of this is we need to get funding from the government. And, and then we can really build that new space economy because then we can say, okay, can, I would like to buy a CubeSat. And if I can, if you will build my satellite, I will, I will build my instrument. You put, you put it in a satellite and then we'll get it launched on an ISRO, on an ISRO uh, rocket. That will build that, that community. Right. And, you know, this is where I think um, some of the early efforts that you had with Team Indus, I think, were in this direction, right? Absolutely. We, we had a lot of good discussion with Team Indus. And uh, in fact, even up to the level, and, and before that, I had that same discussion with L&T, that uh, we were all, we were going to put in proposals together, funded by ISRO, and it would help everyone. And Team Indus, they were, uh, we, we talked about building a satellite. They would build a satellite for us and we would put an instrument on the satellite. I, I, I mean, yes, we've tried this, but, but you, need, you need different abilities from what I have. I was reading about this. I, I'm reading this book about uh, this guy Newman who founded WeWork. A guy just goes to talk to people and, and based on absolutely nothing, he gets people to invest on, in him. That's a great ability. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you know, uh, not every one of us can do every one thing that, uh, you know, we want to have eventually or the skill sets, you know, limit us uh, ultimately yes, right, yes. in all of this. Um, I do hope, it, you know, uh, this particular thing with newer companies uh, that are going to realize uh, hardware more, you know, in the coming months and years, uh, especially with companies like, you know, Pixel and others really putting out hardware in the next coming months. Uh, that's going to give some opportunity because especially like hosting payloads, um, if not a dedicated satellite that you can buy, can give some of these opportunities. And 
and that can really have um, the barrier to to space reduce for um, and then you know give some kind of uh, liberty for institutions like yourself to work directly with the industry once the industry has built capacity because so far i think all the companies that you talk to like even for example lnt or even team indus or so on so they have not yet demonstrated in, you know independent capacity to put out their own systems mm-hmm. and to have yeah. independent ip that they can put out that works in space right but we're only reaching that point with some of these companies you know having booked their launches and putting out the hardware and you know seeing that the investment is kind of real and the hardware is kind of real the only thing that has to do is that hardware has to work in space for people to yeah. then trust it and then you know invest in them yeah so we're trying to uh, we we've been trying for a while to get our star camera some industry guy interested in our star camera because we produce stuff that's competitive but at uh, probably uh, one third of the price and yet uh, i i i can't seem to get anyone interested in that uh, again it's my lack of ability to sell things i guess and it's also uh, partly you know the whole culture of commercialization is um, is a different phenomenon altogether i guess um, you look at uh, a lot of the people who are out there you know doing some of these uh, research aspects uh, in science some of them do have the skill of saying that i do see an opportunity to commercialize a lot of this thing and there's a certain elements of um, market support that they get so for example you know have friends in south africa at stellenbosch for example they mm-hmm. have you know program that runs uh, universities small satellite missions and so on so they were successful in having the university support them to take that ip and have contracts with the company to spin off that ip into the market and essentially the university acted as the vehicle to get space heritage because space heritage is the most important part of selling anything into the commercial market right. and it's exactly the same thing in south africa right they have the exact same phenomena occurring you have everything as lower cost as in india the mm-hmm. the cost of running you know the cost of running uh, infrastructure yeah. cost of running manpower everything is almost the same but they are very successful in you know taking that step because they have that institutional support of some of these universities having the mechanism to support that kind of spinning off and in giving them that kind of support to to move it but in india you know we have all of these programs that have been running with universities for 10 or 15 years now since student satellites really started but none of them have been able to mature to that level where the universities have said you know now that we have some hardware working in space we see a path for some of these people who are involved in this program to go out and commercialize it and and build something on top of that so there's a couple of aspects there the the first thing is that the south africans have have always for been very supportive of science and i've seen that we worked with uh, i worked with their government on the brics program in the brics astronomy program and the south africans are really dedicated to science they they made an effort to build their science program and i know this in astronomy perhaps in other areas also sk now ska they're heavily involved in ska so that's one part of it the second part is that this university thing that you talk about in india again because of the nature of our universities which are not true educational institutions institutions but rather degree uh, granting factories that uh, there there 
focus has not been to build, they don't build satellites for the sake of advancement of, of technology or science. They build satellites because they think it'll help them attract students. And so the people who are involved, you have a bunch of very enthusiastic undergraduates who always pick a project that's too difficult for them. And those undergraduates graduate and the program becomes too diffuse. The faculty members don't really have an interest or, or knowledge. And so the, uh, the programs just don't work properly. So I don't think any single, I don't think a single one of those CubeSats has worked, including the ones from IIT. I don't think any one of them has, has uh, I, I don't know if any one of them has even, even got sent a radio signal back, but certainly none of them have done what they're supposed to do. And, and now they just use it as, as publicity and, and it's not a long running program. It's not a program where you're uh, working hard to do it. IT Bombay now seems to be uh, having a real interest in building a, space, a sustainable space program. And they've been getting a good bit of funding also. So hopefully that will, that will start. Yeah, especially because, you know, I have a few customers in South Africa for my company. And, you know, when I look at them, it's really interesting because uh, you talk to them and they say we were born out of uh, Sunset, which was a university project that was 20 years old or so on. Mm -hmm. And most of the engineers come from that heritage of having worked on that through the university program. And you have a couple of, you know, satellites from uh, Stellenbosch and uh, the university in Cape Town and so on. So, and Interestingly, they are able to now showcase to the policymakers there and the uh, space agency there that 95% plus of their customers are abroad and 95% mm -hmm. of their products are export. Mm -hmm. and so you have literally not much funding available in the public system with the space agency and everything for them to plug into. But because you know they had some heritage and some IP and everything else that they took control of, they're able to build sustainable businesses that, has, that are supporting you know, a few hundred jobs with 20, 30 companies in there in such a small system. Sure. sure. So Anna University, which was the first of the big, uh, of the university programs, I don't know what's happened to any of those people who worked on the program. I mean, maybe you know. Yeah, I mean, I have no clue. I think most of them, as I followed it, you know, I was plugged into the whole university CubeSat uh, program, maybe more than 10 years ago in India. And yeah. I see most of them either having landed up in uh, jobs abroad, uh, having to do yeah. uh, work in uh, NASA or some commercial companies abroad, or, you know, people who have switched completely to other fields and uh, because there's not, not many opportunities then available. So that's how, unfortunately, everything transpires if... Uh, we don't have a sustainable path to building uh, manpower that that can scale based on a particular mission. That's right. No, again, if you look at the software industry, if you look at Silicon Valley, it grew up out of Stanford and there were faculty who were experts in the field and the students went out and founded companies and they kept the, the, the Stanford University, they kept them in the loop. So it was a continuing program. I mean, some might say too far to the to the uh, uh, industry commercial side, but but still, it's been a it's been a a, a two way feedback loop. <coughs> so, what do you think is uh, 
things that we can do at this point of time, uh, you know, given the situation that we are in in India, you know, given the COVID times and the recovery of the economy, I don't see anything that is possible to change in terms of funding for science, at least given that most of the funding, I guess, will go into economic recovery immediately and not long-term as, uh, as it would need for science and so on. What do you think are the prospects for the coming years? We're, we're uh, struggling in science now, and, and this is not COVID related. We've been struggling in science because uh, the focus has been more in applied fields. So they want, uh, they, it, it, our official policy is that we need to do socially relevant science. Okay, I mean, you know, what is socially relevant science? But, but so, so that, I, I don't think that the prospects are very, are, are going to change very much. We, we, we don't do socially relevant science. We do science, we do blue sky research. And uh, we, we think it's got, uh, we, we think it has uh, benefits beyond the, the, the simple academic research we do. We think that we, we do spread out, we, we increase uh, the scientific temper of the country, but, but we, we don't help the farmer grow wheat. We don't help uh, water preservation. So, so we're, that, that is not gonna change. And that's not COVID related. That, that's just in general. COVID for science in principle, I think the wrong thing, the wrong lesson to take is that we should take money away from science and put money into economic recovery. Because as we've seen, one of the, uh, one of the things that uh, COVID has really brought out is the lack of trained people in the country. Uh, you know, our, our response has uh, not very much been informed by experts. And so we make decisions that are uh, that, uh, projections that have not been, that are not supported by, by any kind of uh, rational theory. I think we've suffered there. And I think that where we really need to go is we do need to, even in times of crisis, and especially in times of crisis, we do need to build up the educational system because that's how you build a robust system, a system that can handle crises like, like uh, uh, COVID. So, so that's one thing. The, uh, uh, how we can handle it, or how we can, what, um, one of the things that is happening is that uh, there is a great emphasis on academic ranking. And so uh, this uh, uh, Shanghai ranking, the, time, the Times Higher Education ranking, they, those have their own problems. And what has happened is that many of these institutions have learned to game that system. So they don't actually improve education, rather they uh, improve their ranking because that, that's their metric. Their metric is ranking, not, not education. What they should really do is they should improve their entire education system and then the ranking will automatically go up. But no, they want to improve their ranking. So, but as a result of this, there is pressure on the university system as, as perhaps Amity has felt that we need to become world-class. There's a market here. If we can start attracting students from, from uh, you know how many Indian students are going to China now? I mean, 
why should they why should we not be able to attract students from Malaysia or Thailand or uh, uh, you know East Africa South Africa let's start attracting those students and and so they they are understanding this and so hopefully that is where growth will come they will realize that really the best way to improve their their rankings is not just by gaming the system but by actually hiring people I've often wondered why it is that no one has approached me. You know, I have a good enough publication record that if anyone, if I joined any of these universities, their rankings would, would rise by, by 10 points. So why is it that, or, or if not me, why, why have they not approached younger people at IA and said, look, we'll give you a, we, we know you've done good work. You continue that work, you build up your own group. We'll give you uh, not, not very much money, 50 lakhs a year, one crore a year and you build up a good solid group that will do world-class research. I, I think that's the way to go. And I hope that people do realize that. Chant, I think this has been a fascinating conversation. I don't want to take uh, too much of your time again. We've already spent uh, almost uh, an hour plus uh, talking about all of this. I think there's a lot of takeaways here and uh, this might be relevant. The conversation might be relevant for a long time as we see in India that things take some time <laughs> for things to change. Yeah, I've, uh, I've proselytized this for a while, but so far, not much, not much uh, action. Yeah, so again, you know, thank you very much for taking the time. I, um, I, I'll put out, uh, you know, your coordinates for people to reach out to you in case they're interested. Sure, in, uh, sure. Uh, any, you know. any, anyone, yeah. Let me tell you just two minutes about uh, our projects now. Our two yeah, groups. absolutely, go ahead. The, yeah. the first one is the star sensor. So we've got a, a launch on the next uh, on one of the next PS4 uh, missions. So hopefully we'll be up by uh, June, July. We're just putting together the final payload now, final alignment and calibration, and we're ready to go. Bolted onto the PS4, and uh, and hopefully that'll be June, July. The other thing is this uh, UN program that we got accepted for the UN Office of Outer Space Affairs, and uh, uh, the Chinese Space Agency had offered a, a slot on the Chinese space station for, uh, for, for several payloads. And so we were one of, uh, I think of 19 payloads, 14 payloads, whatever it was to, to be accepted. So we're building that, uh, that instrument now. We just had a discussion with the Chinese yesterday. We're trying to work out all the interfaces and, and stuff. And so what we'll do is, uh, is it's niche science. We're doing it for, for not very much money, a few uh, uh, you know, $20,000 or so. Whoever heard of a space experiment for $20,000? But, uh, but that's what we're doing. And so we hope to get good publishable science, not space telescope type science, but good publishable science. And we do think, or I at least think that there is a lot of scope if universities would come and approach people like me, people, other people around the country who are doing similar things for reasonable payloads with, in collaboration with the university, let the university focus on the satellite, which is what most of their students are interested in and collaborate with us in doing the science. I think that would be uh, uh, help, help everyone. Yeah, absolutely. And good luck with all of that. I think um, uh, there's a, you're setting a, a kind of a track record in India because you have done things that usually people are, I have seen not do an experiment and fiddle with and uh, at least, you know, try to 
come up with some new things that you could experiment originally with and it's uh, it's i think some some things that younger people who are now getting into the fray and looking to come back to india can look at and learn from absolutely i think that our program is actually unique in this i mean worldwide that's why my students got got hired because there's not there's not so many programs that do this none of them had any problem getting jobs they all got jobs right away because they're they're in demand space qualified instrumentation people right absolutely all right so uh, thank you very much again and uh, i hope you know you have um, good research prospects coming up uh, post covid and you know and even sure. as things go along uh, things get better and hopefully some of these new space companies will uh, try to do something where you know you guys can club them uh, into your research programs and there's some synergies that will happen out there as well right. that's at least the hope okay thanks for having me